It's 1001 LA Nights. This is LA Rivers with you. And it's a warmish October evening here in Los Angeles. To all of you who are experiencing the cold autumn evenings in the north, my deepest sympathies. I'm not going to apologize, however. I'm here for the deliciously wonderful warm weather. So just when you think a book is done, a beta, test, a beta tester pops up and says, hey, we need another story. Every character pretty much in the book has a story, except for one. And I toyed back and forth with uh, writing Patty's story. Uh, she's based off a friend. And I thought, gosh, you know, I'm not sure I want to write her story. I think she kind of ducks in and out, and I think she kind of likes it that way. But due to a very good argument by E.J. Dawson, who kindly read my manuscript, I agreed to write a very short story for Patty without breaching her privacy too much. So you'll be hearing that on the podcast today. And my great gratitude to my good friend EJ for really sticking to her guns and saying, hey, that character really needs a story. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for making EJ cry throughout reading the book either. Um, I love getting that kind of feedback when people say, I cried mostly for good reasons. That, that makes an author's heart warm. Um, also on the show today, an amazing interview with a great author, Adam Eccles. Um, he hails from the UK. He lives in Ireland. And he writes what he calls Lad Lit. And it's actually romance for men. And uh, I just really enjoyed our interview. And I think you will as well. So coming up in the next segment, please let me introduce to you Mr. Adam Eccles who hails from the Twitter writing community. All right, we have a very special guest with us today. Mr. Adam Eccles is joining me. He is an indie author. I believe he is almost the proud parent of book number three in his series. Welcome to the show, Adam. Adam, it's really good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be on. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great. Now, you're part of the Twitter writing community, hashtags and all. Um, Today, I'm thinking about what gets us into writing, and you had a pretty good story about that. Um, Mm. What got you into writing? Right. Well, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly fussy about what I read. I'm, I'm, I don't really read fantasy or much sci-fi or anything like that. And I'm kind of set in my ways. And honestly, I was just uh, lacking anything that, that piqued my interest. I mean, I'd scour through um, Amazon. I'd just not find very much. Now, I'm not sh- sure whether that's just me not finding it or just if there genuinely isn't anything that I was interested in. But um Honestly, it just kind of spurred me on to write something myself because maybe maybe there was a gap in the market. So um, I, I figured that uh, that I should try and do something myself if, if I couldn't find something. That's um, the indie spirit. If you can't mm-hmm. find it, write it. 
Um, What was that experience like? I mean, most of us that come into writing, no matter when we start, you know, have been avaricious readers. Mm. Um, Who were your favorite authors? But before we get to that point, though, but like, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I suppose going back a long, long time now, I think first reading Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Mm -hmm. Guide when I was maybe seven or eight years old, that at that point I kind of said, I want to write something like this. I I totally don't write anything like that, but, um, but but I do try and and keep the comedy in there. So, but it's, yeah, it's been a lifelong thing that I've always felt like I should be writing something and it's just something driven in me. But until I was 43, I didn't even, didn't even dare. I mean, I dabbled over the years, but I (laughs) published anything. Um, There was some things that have have long since been deleted and probably for the best from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that goes for us all. <laughs> I always say we write a lot more words than ever see the light of day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I, actually, this year I started something in January that I got to 50,000 words and then kind of cut, but um, yeah. I might get back to that another day. But but basically, yes, yeah, so, I mean, Douglas Adams was my, my first love, I suppose. That's, that's It's something deep in my... DNA at this stage mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm a big fan of Evan Welsh, Ian Banks, Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, but I was basically scouring around on my Kindle in the evening trying to find something and I came across an author um, Keith A. Pearson um, he's, he's uh, written quite a few books at this stage and um, read some of those absolutely loved them um, and it wasn't until kind of deep into that that I realized that he was an indie himself because mm. um, like I mean the quality is wonderful that they're, they're, they're wonderful books so mm-hmm. anyway got talking to Keith and he basically encouraged me to um, to write because uh, mm-hmm. I kind of expressed an interest in doing something myself and I suppose that was the sort of spur I needed uh, to to push me to start doing it um, I, I love nice. the de- democracy of the internet that gives us these opportunities to do stuff ourselves. You know, it's, it's go back 10, 20 years and it wouldn't have been so easy. Um, no, it wasn't that easy. I've been yeah. writing my whole life in one way or another right. and it, it wasn't easy at all. Right, right. I love self-publishing. And yeah. Quality honestly hasn't been an issue um, for the last 10 years in general. Uh, comparing to traditionally published works because there's a lot of crap put out by traditional publishers <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so i say make it equal if, yeah. if they can put out crap so can we right, but right. Um, not saying that your work is crap <laughs> speaking of your work <laughs> tell us how it's not crap in so many words no i'm teasing um <laughs> tell us about your work tell us about your books yeah, so my first book uh, is called Time for a Change, and it's kind of semi-autobiographical. It's about a cynical project manager, uh, lives in Ireland, um, and goes on a bit of an adventure. It's, it covers things like um, the loss of my father, um, and then kind of getting over that and moving on and finding love and stuff like that. So I, it started out in my head as more of a kind of time travel thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't really give any spoilers, but um, but basically, uh, 
somebody pointed out in one of my reviews that it was actually not really about that at all, and it was actually mm -hmm. uh, just a, a romantic comedy, and and that kind of triggered something in me. I, I suppose, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize that before, and, and now I do. Um, mm -hmm. Consequently, I changed the cover, I changed the blurb, uh, and I changed the kind of marketing position, and basically mm -hmm. that's now become my genre. Um, and the second book uh, is called The Twin, Twin Flame Game. It's also <laughs> a romantic comedy. A um, little bit of um, soulmate stuff in there. Right, yeah. That's um, a good topic to have out at the moment because that's kind of a hot category. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, well, I, I kind of had these ideas and, um, and built on them and really just, um, it was January 2018 when I started writing the first book. Um, and published that in in June the same year. So, wow. it took I think about a hundred days to write the <laughs> first draft, and then another couple of months to edit and, and right. write. It drives me mad. Um, and so, yeah. So, book three I am hoping to release in about a week. Um, nice. I'm literally just getting to. Um, just getting through the last last read through and review and you know revision and everything else. So mm -hmm. That one's called "Who Needs Love Anyway." Um, <laughs> it's a cynical view of um, of romance, I suppose. It's it's uh, about a single dad who is basically just trying to find a, a girlfriend. Um, it's a sort of slice of life and he, how he manages to uh, keep his kids alive and entertained um, uh, while he tries desperately through a series of horrifically bad dates um, <laughs> to find someone to settle down with. So um, I've, I've been told this is my best work yet, so we'll see. Right. Um, I That's hope fine. to release that, yeah, so uh, middle of October, I hope. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that's it. So book three is, is, um, is soon. And I have lots of plans for more coming soon. So I mean, my ultimate goal, I think, is uh, something like 10 books by, nice. by 2024. Just nice. arbitrary date. Um, right. We'll see how it goes. So, but yeah, I'm loving it, basically. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a side project, uh, very much. It's, <laughs> Um, has to fit around my day job and busy family life, so right. it's, it's mostly done at, after 11 p.m. Right. I, I don't get much sleep, but, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been fun, and it's been much more successful than I ever imagined. Really, it's um, you know I'm not I'm not about to quit my day job anytime soon, but it's it's certainly been well received and uh it's always really surprising to me that i actually have fans around the world <laughs> that's great that's you know that's that's highly gratifying you know mm. the art of writing is is one thing um getting it into the world is another set of skills and yet when people get to read it and experience it you know that's its own other animal you absolutely know? Um, yeah, it's, and it's very kind of gratifying. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> scary too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love that you're a romantic comedy writer. We usually see men writing romantic comedy movies. There's mm. not a lot of rom com or romance at all coming out of. Well, 
men male writers who actually put their name as a male writer on right. the cover um i, I love, agree and, and that's i love that's, that you did that that makes you really stand out <laughs> right it's we call it ladly i think um ah. rather than chiclet um right. and this my third book now I, i'm gonna uh, subgenre of that as uh, dadlit. <laughs> All right, there you go. Right, <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. So, it's, but it, I mean, it's it, we have feelings too as as men. You know, it's um, yeah, you do. It 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 it's 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 real. So, and I, yeah, we are kind of underrepresented. There's a few of us uh, doing this on Twitter now. I know a couple of other guys doing it, and so I'm I'm all for it. It's um, yeah, me too. Yeah, and I think I, women. I, I, women right. like it too i mean it's uh it gives women an, uh, an opportunity to see through our eyes kind of thing <laughs> i that was one of my first thoughts i was like wow a romance written by a man um <laughs> well now i want to go read this because um just like my son once said mom how do i understand girls and i said honey i don't have a lifetime long enough to explain us um i said i don't understand you know boys so you know um it gives, I think, always having the ability to see through another person's eyes yes. is a rich and rewarding experience. And Absolutely. So there we go. Um, yeah, I really love that. And I, I think that wouldn't come, and, maybe, and we can discuss this, um, I, I think if we left it up to the publishing industry, mm. that angle wouldn't be here. Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, it's probably, it, it, I, I don't have the patience for traditional publishing. Um, <laughs> I just don't have <laughs> any energy at all to put into, you know, querying and um, genuflecting in front of agents and stuff like that. I just can't, I, you know. Yeah. yeah, I'm the same. If I, they like, drive a truck of money up to my front door, then we'll talk, right? But up until then, I'm <laughs> I'm extremely happy with the KDP and, the, um, you know, yeah. the, the self-pub route so it yeah. seems to be fine it keeps everything's in my control you know the cover the blurb the yeah. text the, yep. the angle everything is my decision so yeah uh, yeah and for people who creative control is very important mm. indie's the way to go and doing it through amazon i've been publishing on amazon since 2008 it was create space mm. they acquired it like in 2006 and then i think they just in the last year or two rolled them all together Mm. And um, I found the quality was good. Um, mm. The print, the binding's great. Mm. Um, the paper quality was good. You know, I, you couldn't yeah. really tell if you did it if you know what you're doing, but design-wise, you know, it it comes out well. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, yeah, and and again, because I'm a, I, I live in the world of marketing and not internet marketing, but actual marketing. Right. And um, I happen to use the internet as a vehicle in my job, but I come from the messaging and the branding side and you know, mm. real corporate stuff. And what I know as a marketer, when you're dealing with any kind of corporate entity, um, getting people to accept something new that hasn't been done before, is actually really, really hard. And that's yeah. why the traditional publishing space we end up seeing um, kind of the same story rehashed over and over and over again, mm -hmm. same tropes, same. And so it's mm -hmm. why now I don't cut out traditionally published authors from being on 
1001 LA Nights, but it's why I love highlighting people like yourself because I think we deserve books like this. Um, what's your favorite part of any one of your stories? Um, there's a lot of, lot of interesting parts in the new one actually, but I won't give any, any spoilers. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's hard to, hard to think without, without giving spoilers, I suppose, but there's the kind of journey that the characters take, um, from being perhaps jaded, cynical, um, disillusioned with life and maybe realizing that there is more to things and that um you know that that you can actually achieve what you want um and that's probably a theme in many many books right but um but i i i find it fun to to live that um and i write first person you know present tense and so it, i when i'm writing it it's really like uh you know i'm living the life that i'm that I'm writing it's you know I know the characters and and kind of think the way they do and see through their eyes so I hope that that comes through um you know it's I, I think that's part of uh why you read a book in the first place is right. you want to you want to escape through to somebody's uh alternate life or something so but I mean yeah but basically it's I suppose it's the the journey of discovery um mm bit uh Paolo Coelho there there you go I well I I agree um okay so um where can people find you uh so I'm um prolific on Twitter spouting mm -hmm. my in inanities into the void <laughs> <laughs> so I am um at Adam Eccles books on Twitter um I think that's it um I have a website also, Adam Eccles, Adam Um I don't really use Facebook. It's, it's a toxic thing, but I'm on there too. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the best place to find me is, is on Twitter, where I'm often okay. um, ranting into the void. Right. And people can find your books on Amazon and KDP. And yes, absolutely. So it's Amazon. Or, uh, Kindle, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm exclusive on um, on on, uh, on Kindle and paperback as well. Um, just search for Adam Eccles. That's E C C L E S. Thank you. So, Adam, I ask every single guest on this show if there's one thing you'd hope that your readers mm. would take away from your writing. Absolutely. Well, yeah, what would that be? So, I mean, the short version to this, the short answer is basically I want them to have a laugh. Um, you know, it is a comedy. I, I love comedy. Um, anytime I've, I've had sadness in my life, I've turned to comedy to kind of help me. And I hope that that's something that, that people get from it, a laugh, a good laugh, right? But um, the long, the TLDR version, I suppose, is um, if you think about experiences, um, and boil them down to the constituents. It's basically electrons and chemicals in the brain, right? And and they remain and they change your physical makeup a little bit. And if you kind of think that um, reading a book is like living someone else's life, 
then then I hope that um, really it it, it it changes your physical makeup in some tiny way mm. and and eventually maybe you'll come out with um, new ideas new thoughts and just a little bit better or happier that's a really neat perspective <laughs> that's really cool we've talked a lot on this show about um, writers creating worlds and not just in a book but like parallel mm. universes or um like I only write happy endings. They're not traditional happy endings, but mm -hmm. I only write them because as a young person writing, I was about 10, because I've been writing stories since I was like a wee thing. Mm -hmm. I killed a, I made a bad ending. I made a sad ending and I killed a character at the end and it was a morose dark thing. And I had this flash of insight that what if I'd actually killed someone? So in Stranger Than Fiction, the movie came out, I was like, oh my God, I felt that way. And so I swore I would never write a dystopian ending right. or dystopian view ever again. So I love how you said, you know, how we're changing and evolving every single moment when you enter yes. into the character's frame that it helps change you. And I, that's true. That's a really neat, neat outlook. Yes. Well, I mean, so I, I don't have any world building because I think we, we kind of, my books are set in the real world. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I would argue that we do live in a dystopia already. So, you know. I, That's I because people wrote the dystopian handbooks. <laughs> and I will argue this is why we don't write dystopia because good guys mm. aren't the only ones who read them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed. I mean, so, and so, you know, um, I, I think you need to, you, you want to feel good after reading mm -hmm. the book and, and yeah. hopefully you do feel good as you come away. One of my reviews on Amazon I'm very proud of says uh, something along the lines. So I didn't expect the, the warm glow that I got from reading this. So that was nice. That's amazing. lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. That's really <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank and you. um We'll get all of your links and where do people can find you and, and uh, you know, make sure you tag us when you release book number three and we'll, we'll retweet on Twitter. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very Adam. much. Thanks. So, um, as I was mentioning at the opening of the podcast, E.J. Dawson beta read my Double Bubble Conjecture manuscript. And uh, even though the majority of it is with the editor as we speak, um, also a fabulous writer, um, my editor, who hails from the Twitterverse, uh, make friends on Twitter, dear writers. You come up with an amazing bounty of talent and camaraderie. But anyway, um, not to detract from the reading, but uh, E.J. Dawson reached out and said, hey, Patty needs a story. Patty is a character who kind of pops in and out of the book um, in different ways. Um, partly that's how she kind of popped in and out of my life, um, living there. And she was also a very good friend of Granny Annie's. And anyone who was a friend of Anne's kind of formed a sisterhood. And even though we didn't always see each other very often, there was this amazing bond because, um, well, that's what Anne does. She helps people form 
bonds, which is why the book is called The Double Bubble Conjecture. And uh, anyway, I won't give any spoilers um, about the story. I'm just going to read it. This is the first draft. It may change. It may get edited. Um, This is one of the ways I improve my writing is by reading it aloud. And um, remember, these are cold readings. This is not an audio book. You're going to hear background noise and background sounds. The breeze is blowing through the trees and there's the occasional coyote yipping or a dog barking. And until I get a great recording studio, that's what we're going to live with. So why don't you get comfy and cozy? And it's time to hear Made With Love by L.A. Rivers. The older I get, the more I know this to be true. There's something almost magical about making people things with your own two hands. We really do, when we mean it, pour our love for people into each twist of yarn or stitch of thread. We give a little bit of ourselves away in each gift. Luckily, it's the bigger part of us so we lose nothing. Now, whether they can feel it or not, that's up to them. Granny Annie, made with love. The aroma of freshly brewed coffee added a bittersweet note to the heavy atmosphere enshrouding Annie's dining table. Patty slid her sweatshirt sleeve across her face, smearing the aftermath of yet another episode, the cloth muffling her words as she growled, God, I hate this. Annie exhaled a slow breath and opened her mouth to speak, then stopped. Instead of words, her blue-veined hands reached for a tissue and put it into Patty's hand. Helping me contain the snot. Patty's voice was rough, spoiling the attempt at humor. Annie wrapped cool, soft fingers gently around Patty's warm, rough, free hand. A choked sob found its way up from Patty's belly. Patty scrunched her face, trying to quell the flow of more hot, anguish-filled tears. But it was a futile gesture. The cuckoo clock on the wall pierced the grief-stricken air, making both women flinch a little. Patty slammed a fist on the dining table hard enough to make the muslin quit quilting squares laid out for joining bounce in a macabre dance and coughed grimaced at her friends no grimaced at her friend knowing there wasn't a single word she could utter to ease her friend's suffering so she squeezed patty's hand in a morse code message of i love you patty's hand twitched in a weak reflexive response then convulsed into an iron grip followed by a full-out wail of despair. Hot tears dripped from Annie's sky-blue eyes, shimmering down her rosy cheeks in sympathy with her friend's unbridled anguish. Her grip now matching Patty's, the two women rode the tsunami of angry, bitter loss, despair, and impotence. Not one word spoken at the table, coffee long grown cold in the mugs, quilting squares delinquent, As Annie played doula to Patty's pain, the only sound being choked grunts and high-pitched, stifled squeaks of sorrow held back from full-out eruption, 
Annie wanted to tell her friend to let it rip, but also feared her friend might not find her way back from the darkness threatening to eat her from the inside out. So she squeezed Patty's hand again. It was the only thing she could think to do. As with all things cyclical, the intensity of the moment ebbed, and both women inhaled shaky breaths in tandem. Patty opened her scrunched-up eyes and blinked away massive hot tears, then chuckled weakly. <laughs> well, shit, I'm sorry. She shook her head and ran the now-soaked tissue under her dripping nose. Don't you dare be, Patty. Don't you dare be sorry. Annie croaked a hoarse admonishment. Wiggling her hand free of Annie's, Patty grabbed a handful of tissues from the box, then dabbled at her bloodshot eyes and raw red nose. Oh, Patty grunted in frustration, then coughed the post-nasal drip clear in her throat. I'm going to wash my face, she said, scooting her chair away from the table. Annie gave her a wan smile and nodded, reaching out for a tissue to attend to her own tear-stained face clearing her throat then saying in a tone which dismissed the last hour of deep soul diving want to warm up on your coffee patty nodded yes please got any cookies the 40-something woman's voice held the timbre of a young girl annie's laugh belted out causing brass bells to resonate in the curio cabinet and the crystal bowls resting on the buffet to sing ever so slightly and just like that, it was as if nothing happened at the dining table other than a two-person quilting bee. Faces washed, coffee mugs replenished, and a plate of Granny Annie's famous shortbread on the table. The business of hand-piecing quilt blocks was now in full swing. I know it's not fancy, Patty said, eyeing a green and brown muslin-backed block, but I like it. Annie grinned. Well, art quilts are for looking at. Your goal, if I remember right, was to make yourself a hug. Patty's toothy grin stretched far enough to make the crow's feet around her still red-rimmed eyes pretend to be laugh lines. That's right. <clears throat> That's exactly what I want to make. A hug from me to me. Annie's lips turned up in a thin smile as she focused on whip-stitching a block of orange and tan fabric. You'll have some of me in that hug, too. Patty nodded and said in a low voice, All part of my diabolical plan. Annie laughed and shook her head, dislodging her reading glasses. Ouch! She squeaked when the quilting needle missed the fabric and found her finger. Patty sat, set down the square. Here, let me look at it. Not giving Annie much room choice in the matter, her expert hands grasped Annie's injured finger, and she examined the digit. Nothing a cookie won't can't fix, she said with a smile. Oh, Patty Pan, Annie said, taking her finger back. I think I've got a bit of blood on this block. I'll go see if I can scrub it out. Annie moved to rise from her seat, but was blocked by Patty's hand on her arm. It's okay. Leave it, Patty said. I know it sounds macabre, but then you're really in the hug quilt. Annie sat back in her chair, nodding. You know, it's not macabre at all. That's often how you tell if a quilt is handmade. The little blood stains from the needle pricks, just like this one. Patty nodded. I know. 
those are the ones I look for in antique and thrift stores. I always try to picture the hands that made the quilt and wonder about the women who made them. They bobbed their heads in agreement for a moment and a peaceful silence settled between the two women as they went back to stitching and joining blocks. The cuckoo clock piped up three times before the two-woman quilting bee was interrupted by the phone ringing for, by Furrow Lees playing on the handset. Patty leaned back in her chair and grabbed the phone behind her on the buffet one-handed and passed the phone to Annie. Annie's face was pinched with annoyance as the gruff voice on the other line spoke muffled marching orders. Her responses subtle agreement in the form of, mm-hmm, and that's fine. And finally looking at the cuckoo clock, sure, I'll be ready at five. The brief barrage of muffled gruffness came over the line and Annie said firmly, Bob, I said I'd be ready. Goodbye. Annie hung up the phone and rolled her eyes at Patty. Guess we're going out to dinner tonight. Patty was piling finished quilt pieces in neat stacks, the spell broken for the day. In a too bright tone, she asked, Where are you going? The Cajun place in Everett. Annie smiled and shrugged her shoulders. I like the jambalaya there. Patty offered as she continued to tidy up the table. Annie joined her in organizing the fabric and notions on the table. Why don't you leave this here with me and I'll finish putting it together, Annie offered. Patty looked up at her friend, smiled broadly and said, I thought you'd never ask. Let's let's see, it's Friday. Why don't you come over Thursday and we'll tie the comforter together so you can have your hug. Are you saying I'm taking forever? Patty teased. No, I'm saying you need your hug finished, Annie said with a wry smile looking over the top of her reading glasses. Nodding, Patty gave a tight-lipped smirk, eyes glistening not with not-yet-shed tears. She coughed and put the fabric in her hands back on the table, then swiftly grabbed the coffee mugs and took them to the kitchen. As she washed and rinsed mugs, she looked out the window and stared sightless at the storm front blowing in from the southwest. Looks like a squall's blowing in, she said, called out to Annie. Probably good, we're wrapping up. I need to get home to the girls. Annie gave Patty a squishy hug goodbye and squeezed her hands as the two parted. See you Thursday. Thursday it is, Patty confirmed with a smile that didn't reach her eyes. Darla was out with her boyfriend and Andy was over at a friend's house. The house was cold but not empty as one might th- not as empty as one might think. With the kids out on a Friday night, there were ghosts aplenty haunting the house and Patty that stormy autumn evening. Patty sat on the floor, empty bottle of Pinot Noir laying on its side next to her thigh. Pillows and cushions surrounded the petite brunette, a sad attempt at a fortress. Pew, pew, <laughs> Patty mimicked sounds of rapid fire while she shot marshmallows at mid-sized green plastic soldiers. And down you go, and you, pew, pew. The toy soldiers lay in odd angles on the beige carpet, ready to be propped up again for another round, three or three or four, until the wine finally helped Patty drift off into an exhausted sleep. This is how she dealt with it. Every time the ghost popped up, she shot a toy soldier. The young boy's grief-stricken image screaming at her, Pow! Pow! Pop! 
tears blurring her vision until the girl floated in, blood-stained prom dress dripping for full effect. Stay dead, for fuck's sake, Patty screamed. There was nothing I could do, she yelled sobbing at the apparition. Somehow another bottle of Pinot Noir was found and Patty slipped into the darkness until the red and blue lights of her dream woke her in the early hours. Annie greeted Patty at the door, blue eyes twinkling with mischievous delight. Come in, come in. Annie drew Patty in, giving her a one-armed squeeze as she tugged her friend towards the dining table. Close your eyes, Annie demanded in an impish tone. Careful, I'm a klutz and so are you. This could end badly, Patty said as she closed her eyes and let Annie guide her at a hobble to the dining nook. Oh, hush, you just stand right there and keep your eyes closed till I tell you to open them, Annie scolded cheerfully, and Patty heard the scraping of chair legs against the hardwood floor. The aroma of coffee and fresh-baked bread reached Patty's nose, triggering a loud growl from her stomach. There better be butter for that bread, Patty warned in a low tone punctuated with a coffee-stained smile. Oh, you know there is. This is Granny Annie's house, Annie retorted in in mock offense, then announced, Ta-da! Open your eyes! She stood arms wide behind the table, face shining with delight. Patty opened her eyes and gasped in awe. Her comforter lay spread out on the length of the dining room table, draping over the sides, the brown, green, and orange, and taupe squares of a patchwork of autumn colors. The corner closest to Patty, in the corner closest to Patty, there was a square with embroidered lettering. Patty stepped forward and reached out a tentative hand to hold the piece in reading distance. For Patty Pan, love Granny Annie, the letters spelled in cream cruel thread. Oh, Anne, oh, you shouldn't have, Patty whispered in a rough voice. Oh, yes, yes, I should, Annie replied. How about some coffee and warm bread before we start tying it off? Sounds like a plan, Patty said, pulling her eyes away from the quilt and giving her friend a misty-eyed smile. In the kitchen, Annie loaded plates with steaming warm bread, butter, and had Patty bring the coffee and jam. They folded the quilt back off the table in order to nosh unabated. That's gorgeous, Anne. Thank you, Patty repeated with a mouthful of bread. Just like you are. Annie said, smiling. Patty shook her head. Does it really need tying? Patty asked. Annie shrugged and made a face. If you want it to be tied, it doesn't really need it. I like how it is. I'm going to try it in a minute, Patty said, eyeing the patchwork quilt with eagerness. Annie chuckled, then became serious. Miss Patty, I want you to hear me when I say this. I don't talk to most folks the way I'm going to talk to you. And I want you to hear not just my words, but the vibes behind them. Patty swallowed another bite of buttered bread and nodded. Okay, I'm all ears. Annie stared at Patty a moment, her sky blue eyes scanning her friend for something not quite visible. Finally, she cleared her throat and spoke softly as if to keep what was being said safe from prying ears. Look, I know you're struggling. That's no secret. 
You know, I believe in God. Well, that means there's demons too. I feel your fight, Miss Patty, and you need some help. Whoa, Patty interjected slowly and put up a hand. Let me finish. I'm not judging you. I'm trying to tell you. I blessed this comforter. I prayed a hedge of protection in each stitch I made. So when you're alone and fighting demons, you can just wrap yourself in this and stop fighting. There's a lot of love here in this blanket. Let it cloak you. Annie finished firmly. I stopped believing in God a while ago, Patty said wryly. Annie frowned. Well, then consider it good juju. I don't care what you call it. I just want you to know it. Patty gave Annie a half-hearted smile, then grasped Annie's hand and squeezed. I'll take all the help I can get. It was a doozy of a storm. Gale force winds howled through the Douglas firs, making thick boughs crack and groan with terrifying ferocity. The eaves of the house kept lifting, and Patty cowered into another pillow fort designed to provide emotional cover. A faint wail of sirens sounded through the gusty night. Patty shuddered. She wondered if it was her old crew out in the weather tonight. Guilt washed over her. She should be out there with them. Then she shook the thoughts out of her head. She knew the crew was fine without her. Worried thoughts of her daughters drifted fleetingly through her mind. She didn't want them out driving in the weather. Then remembered that the girls were with their dad's dad tonight. And she knew they were safe. Sighing, she sipped some pinot out of, out of the bottle and leaned back against the pillow fort. Specters threatened entry, as they did every night, and she heard Annie's voice urge her to get her hug. What the hell? Why not? Patty muttered, her speech slurred. Comforter retrieved from the back of the couch. She draped it around her shoulders like a cape. Immediately, a sense of warmth spread through her, then a serenity she couldn't quite describe. Try as they might, the images couldn't quite make it into her range of vision. Patty made a face and stuck out her tongue. She wrapped the comforter around her and laid on the floor, head on a pillow, and listened to the storm rage. That night, for the first time in three years, Patty slept without blood-soaked teens and flashing lights haunting her dreams. When she woke the next morning, she stretched and blinked in wonder, then whispered to the air, Annie Thompson, I swear you're my fairy godmother. The comforter wasn't a cure-all. Patty's PTSD was real, and there were still many sleepless nights in the next few years. Yet the hug was the catalyst for a long road of healing, always draped in easy reach to keep the ghosts at bay. Well, you know, when you make yourself cry, it means something. Um, That story is a tender one, partially because Patty's real. She was a firefighter, and she retired um, after the incident that gave her ghosts. And I'm one of the very few people who knows the story in its entirety. 
I struggled with writing that story, and maybe I'll change Patty's name. I haven't decided. Probably will. Because she'll probably read the book. And she'll know it's her. But I think maybe changing the name is a good idea. I don't know if that scene happened or not. I know Anne and Patty spent a lot of time quilting. And these are all imaginings. Um, other than the marshmallows and green soldiers. Because I know she's that was one of her coping mechanisms back in the day. Patty got sober. She still has some battles but she has a much better life today than all those years ago. I was out with a filmmaking friend of mine last night and um, talking about this story and he asked if I ever wanted it made in a film and I said yeah I do. I can see this book being a film a lot like fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe or steel magnolias or not in content but in style like kind of like Shawshank Redemption kind of a haunting cinematic feel to it Um, the reason why these stories were so hard to write in some ways some of them some of them took what seemed like forever or though Patty's just kind of all 2600 words just kind of went bloop and it's one of the shortest stories in the book um they were hard to write because some there's a lot of realness and a lot of nonfiction in here. Um, and in my author's note, I kind of show where the lines are to fictionalize real happenings. Um, normally, I don't write this style, and I don't um, think I'll ever quite write it again. There's a rawness to it. There's a starkness and a, a containment that really epitomizes what it was like to live in that area that never quite made it to turning. Um, we were all healing then, all of us. The one story I haven't read, and I'm not sure I will, is the end. It's the end story, and it's Anne's story, and it's a victory. Um, it's a great end, and I did something kind of cool unwittingly um, I wish I could say I planned it but I mirrored in one line at the end I mirrored the beginning of the book and um, man I wish I would have thought of that on purpose but it actually happened quite by accident and so the beginning of the book and the end of the book mirror in theme and uh, I would I'm, I'm sure if this ever becomes a book people have to study, they'll go, oh, she did that on purpose. But no, no, it just happened. Um, very proud of what I've written here on a technical angle. Again, it's not my normal fiction writing style. Um, it's kind of done with an eye to Steinbeck and an eye to Ray Bradbury. Again, not in tone, but stylistically. Um, Steinbeck always wrote about his friends and I'm a huge Steinbeck friend I'm like a fan friend maybe his ghost sits with me I don't know Um, like to the point where I drove to Monterey and Salinas and I drove the back roads trying to capture his essence um, on a road trip or two Um, and I swear to God I could feel Steinbeck's ghost but uh, 
I wanted to capture the grittiness and the rawness of what it was like to live in that space and be with the people, some of whom never were ever going to leave or think they could leave or see the containment of their lives, and some who were doing their best to live more richly without suffering. Whether they stayed or left. So that's what the double bubble conjecture is about. And, um, and it's about Anne. Anne who loves everybody right where they are. Who really is a, a woman of deep faith. Um, and doesn't really care if you call it God or the universe. Or whatever you want to call it. She just kind of loves you. Um, she's the way I would hope most people of faith would be. And so few are. So anyway, with that, I'm going to love you and leave you. And I'll see you next week on 1001 LA Nights.